0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back into the FFD260 Dynasty podcast. I have a special guest with me tonight, none other than the founder of the Fantasy Flock Network himself, Mason Dodd. Mason, thank you for being with us tonight. How are you doing, sir?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you for having me.
0: Awesome. Um, So my name is Mark Leopold. I'm your normal host. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at LeopoldNFL. You can find Mason at BuildTheDynasty. Uh, but, Mason, first question is tell us about the Fantasy Flock Network. What is it? Where can the people find it? I know they're probably craving it. So, tell them what it is, where they can find it, and all that good stuff.
1: Yeah, so the Fantasy Flock Network is going to be a YouTube channel and a Twitch channel. I don't know if you know what Twitch is, but Twitch is like a live streaming platform that you'll be able to tune in and listen to our podcast live. You'll be able to watch me do anything live. I can bring on people to interview do some um, best ball drafts live in anything will be on there. And same thing with um, YouTube. You'll see clips from podcasts. You'll see interviews, just a bunch of fantasy football content, a lot of dynasty content, really whatever you want. You can find on there.
0: Awesome. And I think this is probably still in effect, but if you have Amazon prime, I think you also get a free Twitch subscription. So if anybody's not utilizing that and is a member of Amazon prime, I think you can do that for free, which would be great.
1: Yeah, that would be great.
0: All right. That's awesome. Anyway, let's jump right into it. we got a lot to cover tonight here. Uh, we're going to try to keep it a little shorter than normal just because it's the slow time of the year. we got the Super Bowl coming up. And then once that passes, we'll start diving into rookies, talking about trades, all that kind of stuff. So we got a few things here we want to cover, though. Um, so, Mason, let's start off. First thing is just your overall impressions of 2018. Takeaways, mainly from a fantasy perspective, but anything you learned going in. Uh, from this year that you didn't expect?
1: Oh, I was expecting a big wide receiver bounce back. I was expecting a lot of the elite backs to fail and disappoint owners in 2018. And really the exact opposite happened. We saw the continued trend of the elite three-down bell cow back rule and take people to fantasy championships. And I'd say that's the biggest overall impression of 2018, that it's the return of the running back. The trend continues.
0: Yeah, I think you're spot on there. That's that's one of my big takeaways was just how important the the high-end running backs are, particularly with, like, the touch volume that they get over a running back that you could even have drafted in, like, the third or fourth round. It's just so much more significant than the drop-off at wide receiver. And you look at some of the guys at wide receiver that went in the mid rounds or even, you know, third, fourth, fifth rounds, you're getting better value there. So I think we're, we're going to see it kind of continue to shift back towards running backs – uh, I know we've been wide receiver happy ever since the 2014 class. Uh, so that's one of my takeaways too. I agree with that. Uh, anything else from a fantasy perspective there that you learned uh, from your drafts and redraft leagues or best ball leagues?
1: Um, well, with um, redraft and best ball, the big thing is that came out is you do not want to be taking a running back in the rounds three through five. You can get away with zero RB, but if you do, you, you got to wait. You got to load up. On taking wide receivers early you got to load up on tight ends early you cannot be stuck in that three to five zone the three round three through five for running backs because that's where all the expensive running backs with touch questions are going i mean it's just a big dead zone for running backs and it has been for the past couple of years
0: yeah that's the kind of range that especially this year we saw guys like alex collins Kenyon drake um, and so, some of the guys that are either in relatively uncertain situations or they're just generally low upside. Uh, another one I'm thinking of is a guy like LaShawn McCoy, who's going to get the touches, and that wasn't the problem. But it was really just the Bills' offense was so bad as a whole that it brought down his value. So, that's a good point. And some of the guys you look at that went later on, I'm thinking like Marlon Mack, Aaron Jones. Like, those are the types of running backs you want that are kind of in uncertain backfields but could take over. And you want the guys in a good offense. So, those are some of the guys we saw break out. And another one that comes to mind is Nick Chubb came on late in the season. The Browns' offense surprised some folks, turned it around a little bit, and he definitely took over going down the stretch. So, I think you, you make a great point that you want to focus on running backs early and late, sandwich it in with the wide receivers in the middle.
1: Yeah, uh, exactly what I was um, getting at. And also you made a great point halfway through there that um, we should be targeting players on good offenses. We should be avoiding the prototype of, hey, we should draft wide receiver X because he's going as wide receiver 40, even though he's the number one on the Buffalo offense. Or for this next season, I see that going to be the Redskins offense. I feel like whoever's the number one there will get over drafted just because he's going to get the volume, even though, the offense is going to be horrendous. So it caps the ceiling.
0: Yeah. I landed myself with a few shares of Kelvin Benjamin and Jamison Crowder both. And I didn't really expect it with Washington this year, but you know, I was all over him and Benjamin more for that reason of just, he was going to get funneled targets and it didn't work out. Uh, What about quarterback and tight end? Let's talk about the onesie positions briefly here. What was your approach on quarterback? What was your approach on tight end and did it work out? And if not, what are you going to do differently?
1: quarterback was great this year i got i would call it more luck than anything i was massive on Mahomes mainly just because situation and i figured if he does have the arm talent then it's all upside from here he can't be worse than alex smith and we just saw what alex smith did on the flip side oh i whiffed on tight well i kind of whiffed on tight end because i was i went heavy rob gronkowski there i kind of saved myself with my biggest my highest-owned dynasty tight end being Eric Ebron. but Nice. Yeah, I had Gronk in a lot of places, which definitely hurt.
0: Yeah, I'm the same. I, I had a lot of luck in quarterback, and by that I mean I drafted Andrew Luck basically everywhere because I wasn't worried about the injury, and that paid off big time. Oh, yeah. And tight end, I was with you there. I, I had Gronk in a lot of places. I thought it set up nicely at the end of the second round for him to have a huge season. Also, had a lot of Hunter Henry, sadly, because the breakout lined up perfectly, and you know, obviously, for reasons other than talent and things we can't really foresee, that didn't work out. Uh, so I've been all over him in dynasty for a long time, and uh, you know, was trying to get him in startups the last few years. So had a lot of that, didn't really work out, and obviously a lot of redraft leagues drafted after the fact. So didn't have it so much in seasonal leagues, but had a lot of teams in dynasty where I was trying to work around that. All right, so moving on here, uh, we'll shift strictly to a dynasty context here now talk a little bit about the season but i want to transition into rookie drafts Uh, i know we're ways out from those but it's never too early to start thinking about it i know a lot of people are already underway in their evaluation process of the 2019 rookies Um, so i just want to talk about your approach a little bit i think it's a little early to talk about what we're seeing in the class we'll get into that plenty through the offseason but as far as your approach on looking at rookies are you more of a film guy or more of an analytics guy
1: I'm more of an analytics guy. I mean, I don't really have time to sit here and grind film, or even if I did, I don't really – I'm not going to sit here and say I know more than NFL evaluators, even though some of their decisions are highly questionable. And when I'm looking at analytics, I'm looking at five main things. I'm looking at the age-adjusted production of mainly wide receivers. I'm looking at the college market share of those wide receivers. You also have to look at the strength of their competition because – a. A lot of these D2 um, small school wide receivers end up getting pumped up. Same thing with running backs. Look at Jeremy McNichols. They get pumped up just because they're crazy stats. I mean, people don't like to talk about strength competition in deep dynasty circles. I mean, it's more of a public kind of thing to talk about, but I think it's something important to look at. And also, I'm a, I'm a big NFL draft capital kind of guy, not necessarily because I think the scouts are the smartest people or that they're going to get it right all the time, but I think that whoever they take highly, they think of that player highly, and they're going to give them the chance to succeed.
0: Yeah, draft capital definitely factors in. I mean, I'm with you. Analytics is my primary. I, I watch film, and I use that to try to fill in some holes on places where I think the analytics might be overlooking things. Uh, so one example, I was low on Calvin Ridley all throughout. And obviously the draft capital changes that because, you know, he's guaranteed to play early. He's guaranteed to get multiple opportunities to fail. So that's obviously, you know, pretty much worth his weight in gold per se, uh, because, you know, he's going to get those opportunities where a guy that's drafted in like the fourth or fifth round might get one. And if he fails, he's probably out of the league or at least, you know, relegated to a practice squad or cut and sign on another team and never really surfaces again. Uh, but I do use the film, and it can tell you some things where the stats might be misleading. And So one guy that I really hit big on on the film last year was on Johnson, and the thing I saw with him when I was watching this tape is that that Auburn offense was just so one-dimensional and so predictable that when you looked at his numbers, they're both kind of depressed from the offense he was in, but also his efficiency didn't look great, and he wasn't used as much in the passing game as I thought What I saw on tape suggested he could be so obviously some of those things panned out uh he was used a little more in the passing game than some thought he might be and you know he he turned out to be a pretty good player it looks like so I think that was trending in the right direction but film definitely kind of takes a backseat to the analytics where I use it to just kind of try to correct a little on things that might be a little misleading
1: yeah I was big on carry on too and mainly because he he was productive for that Auburn offense in the sec at an incredibly young age. I think it was the second youngest running back coming into the draft of the big-name running backs. And also, you you saw a lot what Detroit thought of him when they traded up in the second round to take him there.
0: Yeah, that definitely says a lot. And another thing that we didn't touch on, but you just did right there, is if a team trades up for a player, I think that says a lot as well. And you think about a guy like Alvin Kamara, where the Saints traded up to get him. I think we probably should put a little more weight than we have been, at least me personally, on teams that trade up for a guy because that definitely says they're confident, especially if it's in, you know, like the second round, even the first round. I mean, that, that says a lot about how they feel about the player. And I think that's going to hint at early opportunity as well.
1: Yeah, I completely agree there. That's a big reason I was on Dante Pettis this offseason. The 49ers traded up to a spot where nobody thought Pettis was going to go. And they kind of. Surprised a lot of people by taking him that early in the second.
0: Yeah, it's a good call I wasn't as big on him. So it's definitely somewhere. I think I could improve my process a little bit So we kind of touched on a few things here already, but I want to talk about lessons learned from 2018 rookies Um, Whether you want to just talk about a couple of players that you either hit or missed on or just general trends You know, what were your biggest takeaways from the 2018 rookie class?
1: All right. Yeah, there's two big things that I learned from the rookie class. One is Fade the Public, which I did a I think I did a pretty good job of it. I had Josh Allen everywhere in all my superflex leagues, mainly just because I sat there thinking, you know what? Everybody hates this guy. But he was taking to the top ten in the NFL draft. So it's like what what's the chance that he's this bad? So I took him, I was scooping him up everywhere in the early second of all my superflex drafts think that really worked out and another lesson that i learned the hard way from is philip Lindsay. i saw him going off in the preseason at the beginning of the season i didn't even bother to pick him up off waiver wires i looked at him i saw the tiny guy completely undrafted and didn't look any deeper into it those are the i saw that and just completely overlooked him. and i think next time i need to be more aware of the potential of undrafted players even if they are Crucially undersized.
0: Yeah, it's yeah, a good call on Lindsay. I mean, he's he's a guy that I f- I feel kind of hit and miss on because I liked him as a prospect and his numbers look good. I and, mean, you know, all the things that you kind of want in the boxes to be checked on. He's productive. He was using the passing game. The size was obviously a concern, but I think the athleticism helps uh, a bit there. So he was a prospect that I liked in a vacuum. And then obviously his draft capital or lack thereof is not a good sign. But Really, for me, it was just that I was so high on Royce Freeman that I just totally wrote off Lindsey only because he was on a team with Royce Freeman, and I thought that was in the bag that it was Royce Freeman's job. Um, So I was definitely a little narrow-sighted on that one. But I think my takeaway is that I wrote a piece last offseason about wide receivers being taken in the first round of Dynasty rookie drafts. It's often a sucker move, and I think I kind of reinforced that this past year, and it showed me that I think that take was even a little mild maybe because you look at a lot of the first-round running backs that their value increased in their first year, and a lot of the first-round wide receivers, their value decreased in the first year, or they at least didn't produce up to the level that their owners were probably expecting. Uh, So DJ Moore, for example, first receiver taken off the board in most cases, he kind of underwhelmed, and I know his situation is looking better now, but you could probably get him for cheaper than – he was originally drafted, and some of the running backs that were taken right around that range. Nick Chubb fell because of his landing spot and uh, competition with Carlos Hyde, and he's obviously very valuable. In a lot of cases, he's you know top ten running back in dynasty, depending on what kind of ranking service or ADP you look at. So uh, Sony Michelle, his value went up. Uh, obviously, Ronald Jones didn't, but I was off of him. So I think the value of running backs early on, especially the ones who are projected to get opportunity, I think that you should kind of almost overvalue that because worst case, their value can go up and then you can try to trade them. And we saw the same thing the year before with the first round wide receivers not doing so hot in their first year value falling off a cliff in some cases with John Ross and Mike Williams and a lot of the running backs, their value went up. And so, you know, a guy like Kareem Hunt who went late first, or Alvin Kamara who went mid to late first in a lot of leagues, you couldn't trade uh, John Ross plus Mike Williams plus, you know, another piece or two and get those running backs after the first year. So you want to look for, I think, early production, and then you can kind of use that to leverage in some trades after their first year if it's not a player you really sold on long term.
1: I generally agree with that take. I think we see that year after year ever since the 2014 class, except with 2018 class. I mean, you say that you can't get DJ Moore for – I mean, you can get him for less than what owners paid in 2018. I don't think that's the case because most – I mean, I don't really play in any one QB dynasty leagues anymore, but every single Superflex league I was in, I was getting him at the early second. I don't think I had to take him in the first single time. And I don't think – I mean, if, at least if you offered me the 106 in 2019, even though I took DJ Moore in the early second, I'm declining that offer based on what I saw his rookie year. And same thing with Calvin Ridley. Same thing with Cortland Sutton. Same thing with Dante Pettis, and same thing with Christian Kirk. Like I said, I generally agree with that strategy of taking the running backs early and dismissing the first-round wide receivers. But I think that this year was a little more of an outlier outlier than in 2015, 2016, 2017. Yeah, it
0: was definitely a very strong class. So we'll see how this one pans out, and you know, maybe we'll, maybe I'll pull that back a little bit, but. I'm definitely going to go into this draft with a running back heavy mindset early on. Um, but I think, you know, all those wide receivers you listed, I'm only really buying DJ Moore at this point. And it's primarily because Devin Funches is going to be gone, but I'm not buying Ridley long-term. I'm not, I'm kind of neutral on Christian Kirk long-term just because I'm not sold on Josh Rosen. Primarily. I love Kirk as a prospect. I'm not really buying Pettis long-term because I think they're going to make some moves and I think his targets are going to be squeezed a bit, even when he comes back, you know, hopefully plays a full season this year. Uh, So I'm really only buying more of that group.
1: That makes sense. I think a lot of those wide receivers have lower ceilings. Like I think they can only be wide receiver twos, like wide receiver range. But, I, I mean, I do like a lot of the guys. I play in a lot of, like, a start 11, start 12 league, so I'm looking for depth, and I think those kind of guys are perfect for it. Uh, can I ask you why you're fading Calvin Ridley? Because I was off him his rookie year as well. But he, in my opinion, he looked really impressive this year. I mean, he had, according to a player profiler, the largest, target, um, largest separation per target of any wide receiver this year.
0: Yeah, I mean, he was going up against mostly number three cornerbacks, so that probably contributes some, and – For me, if you put his season in context of his age, it's really not that impressive. And so one of the guys I mentioned a minute ago, Devin Funches, almost the same age as Calvin Ridley, and Ridley has one decent season under his belt. Funches has already done that multiple times, and he's going to be a free agent, so he's probably going to land with a team that's going to use him, I would hope. Uh, So just generally speaking, you know, Ridley came into the league that old, and I don't think he's a bad player. I just don't think his – Uh, Outlook looks as good as some people think because they think there's more room to grow. But when you're already this age, I think he's probably closer to his peak than a lot of people realize.
1: Okay. I I generally agree with that. I do. um, Like, I use that same philosophy. Like, when people are valuing Dallas Godert as if he just had a fantastic 2018 season, even though he was an extremely old tight end coming in. And he still has Ertz in front of him. But I just feel like with Ridley, because so many talking heads on podcasts and all over Twitter have talked about his age before, that it's already factored in to his value to a point where I'm not necessarily going out and buying him, but if um, he's not a player I'm afraid to acquire in a deal.
0: Yeah, I mean I wouldn't shy away from it because I think you'll get decent, you know, like wide receivers free production is probably about where I would expect him to fall but I would rather take my chances, you know, if you're talking almost straight-up value, I think Funches is probably cheaper, I would imagine, at this point because he was just complete garbage the second half of the year. He was hardly used, but I would rather have a player like Devin Funches because I think the upside is higher, especially when you consider how raw he was coming into the league, and he's definitely progressed, so I think he still has more room to grow than Ridley, and they're almost the same age.
1: Okay, that's a really interesting take.
0: It's probably contrarian. I mean, I I know a lot of people want Ridley, but he's one of those guys where his value went up in the first year and I wasn't buying him at his price before. So now that it's higher, I'm definitely selling.
1: So what do you think it would cost to acquire Ridley right now?
0: And uh, I I play more single quarterback leagues, sadly. Um, I'm trying to get some super flex transitions, but that's a tough thing to do once the league's already active. Yeah. Uh, So in a single quarterback league, I think you'd have to pay probably – an early first, you know, like the one hundred three or one hundred four. I mean, he was going later first round, but I think his value's definitely increased from that point. So,
1: okay, that's fair. I, I think it's probably about
0: there, one hundred three, or yeah, one hundred four.
1: I, I completely agree there. Uh, and I'm not necessarily paying that price, but if he was, if I could get him for the one hundred six, one hundred seven, I think I'd pay that in a one QB league.
0: I don't even think I'd do that.
1: See, I, I, just, I just don't think you're going to get a. First round wide receiver there.
0: Yeah, and, but I'm going to draft a running back there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, I I know this question's later on in the show sheet, but if you're sitting at that, would you mind answering? Like, if you were sitting at that 106, 107, what running back do you think you'd be targeting there? Because I know Jacobs and Montgomery will most likely be gone.
0: I can't answer that question at this point because I haven't done enough evaluation of rookies.
1: Okay, completely understandable.
0: So how about you come back on the show later on in the offseason, and we'll answer the question then. Sounds great. Deal. All right. I think we've thoroughly beat this one into the ground here. Um, so next question here is, who were your most drafted rookies in 2018? So that kind of gets to who were you valuing higher than consensus? And then obviously talk about a, a little bit, did it pay off or why not, and what was the process?
1: Yeah, I'd say my two highest, highest rookies are Josh Allen and DJ Moore, mainly because – I was using my first picks a lot to trade out into that early second. And I felt that for a top 10 NFL QB, even though he did have very bad numbers coming into the NFL, it was a more than fair price to acquire him there. And there wasn't much risk. And I'd say there's mainly upside at that price. And same thing with DJ Moore. I mean, I felt that there's nothing he could do in his first season with how young he was that in knowing that Funches was most likely gone to free agency, that his price would be lower than an early second in a super flex league come 2019, even if he disappointed.
0: Yeah, he's one of those guys I'm buying. I'm actually selling Allen though. Um, I think when you look at kind of the context of how he produced, a lot of it was on runs that weren't designed. He was just scrambling around. My biggest concern with him is whether he's able to hold the job because I think the way he plays and the way the offense is set up around him, it's not really conducive to his play style. And I don't – I'm not convinced that they're going to surround him with enough talent. So my biggest concern with him is how long he can hold a starting job. And when you look at the fantasy numbers, I think people, if they're getting caught up in watching the box scores and just seeing what level he was producing, I think he could probably get pretty good value for him, especially in Superflex, obviously.
1: Yeah, I already completely flipped all my Allen shares. I think that's a really good take. I think a lot of rookies coming off okay to decent rookie years at the quarterback position become overvalued.
0: Yeah, I mean, so, like, I don't know if anybody would do do this, but if you could sell Allen for Mayfield straight up, you would do it, I assume.
1: Oh, yeah, but there's no chance in hell that's happening.
0: Right, Allen for Lamar Jackson.
1: I don't think I could go there just because they both seem to have the same struggles. And at the same time, I think that Buffalo's a lot more invested into Josh Allen and are willing to put more talent around him this off season.
0: Interesting. I'm totally the reversal. I mean, obviously they're super invested in Allen, but for me, Lamar Jackson, a lot of the production he had on the ground was from design drums. So I think that's more sustainable moving forward. And Even though the Ravens' offense isn't that exciting either, I think the way that they've designed the offense is a better fit for Jackson than the way Buffalo's designed their offense is for Allen. And obviously that can change. But at this point, I'm definitely on the Jackson side.
1: Yeah, that's a fair point. I just think that Jackson, he has a smaller frame. And at the same time, he is. Excuse me? True. Yeah, at the same same time, so he has the smaller frame. And I know you said there's job security concerns for Allen. I think that Jackson's job security is in bigger question, mainly just because oh, yeah. the fumbles. Even though I feel they're overblown, like that that issue. But if I'm in the if I'm the head coach in Baltimore, that's a big deal to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I definitely see what you're saying. And- They both would have job security concerns. I think we'll see Flacco move on. I think everyone's been expecting that. But neither one of them really has competition on the roster. So I think it would have to be a situation for either of them where they go another year and a half, probably minimum, and the team's not winning games, and they decide that they need to make a change and then maybe drop somebody in two years or pick up a free agent or try to make a trade or something like that. So I think they're both secure for a year, probably two years minimum. Um, but for me, the Ravens, I think are a team better set up to win games. And so I think that they're going to, I think they're more likely to have Lamar Jackson, even if he's not playing great, to be able to think they can get by and win games with him than Buffalo really is with Allen.
1: All right. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think both of their floors for a job security standpoint are what Blake Bortles was. I, I don't think that either of them get washed out within the next two years.
0: Yeah, I'd be surprised if it was before the end of the rookie contract. I think that's just really, like, you know, worst-case dumpster fire scenario they'll get at least a year and a half, even if it all goes south.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, I'm selling both of them.
0: Oh, okay, interesting. I'm buying Lamar if I can get him at a good price. Definitely not Josh Allen, though. No. Yeah. <laughs> all right, fair enough. Actually, Lamar Jackson's one of my most owned guys for a lot of the reasons we talked about. Uh, so a couple other guys that I had a ton of uh, – Michael Gallup and James Washington, and Traquan Smith. And so a couple of them were for different reasons. Gallup and Smith more for their situation. Smith didn't really work out as well as I would hoped. he had a couple big games, but him and Gallup were primarily because I thought they could be day one starters. James Washington was exactly the opposite. I was thinking, you know, I love the talent. He was a first-round pick until the NFL draft and a lot of mocks and ADP that goes before the NFL draft. And then his situation was such that he's probably not going to play much. But I bet on the talent, took the long-term view. And so he's one of those guys where I took the hit and value year one, but I'm hoping it's going to pay off big year two. So uh, definitely not selling him at this point. hoping that he'll start opposite Juju next year. And I had a lot of carry on Johnson as well. We talked about him.
1: Yeah. That Washington take is a great one, I think, because I completely forgot how high people were pre-draft of him.
0: Yeah. I mean, he had, I don't even remember. I wish I had it in front of me, but he had some ridiculous yards per reception in college and he was one of the deep ball specialists. He's just so good at tracking the ball. that I think he fits well with Juju and especially if AB leaves, I think they're a good pair. And so I could see James Washington in the starter role next year.
1: Yes. I completely agree with that.
0: Yeah. And the other, I sadly have a lot of Rashad Penny, um, it kind of looks like he got pumped up by the situation in the way that Donald Pumphrey did. I liked what I saw on film. And so I told myself it was going to be different. And he was very high up on my prospect board. So that one didn't work out. Um, And I do have Dallas Goddard for some of the reasons we talked about because Zach Ertz's contract situation is a little bit up in the air. I don't know what they're going to do ultimately, but they can save a good chunk of money if they cut him this year. And I believe he's only got one year left. So, It wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world if they cut Zach Ertz to save cap space and then Dallas Goddard could start next year. But I think worst case, we're probably looking at Goddard as the starter two years from now. And even though he came in a little old, tight ends peak late. So uh, the fact that he's pretty polished already, I think, is a good sign. And I'm still optimistic for his future. So the fact that he fell because of his landing spot made me all over him as well, kind of like James Washington.
1: Yeah, no, I actually completely agree. I was targeting him in the third round as well. I don't think I ended up with him in more than one league. But to where he's at now, I saw a Twitter poll that had him against Eric Ebron, and he was winning the poll, which completely blew me away. Like, I don't understand that thought process whatsoever. I mean,
0: I can see it. I probably wouldn't go that way, but – you can definitely spin the case where next year Indy's offense has T.Y. Hilton, Deion Cain's coming back. He was getting a lot of hype before last season. And then you have Jack Doyle and Eric Ebron, so they're kind of four of the main guys fighting for targets. And Philadelphia, I mean, theoretically, if they cut Zach Ertz, there's not all that much competition. Uh, you know, It becomes probably Alshon Jeffrey, Golden Tate, and Goddard. And I think Nelson Aguilar is pretty overrated, so I'm not sure he'll ever be a major piece again. Um, he's kind of a complimentary thing. So you can make an argument that the targets will be more consolidated in Philadelphia, but I think you're stretching it a little bit if you're trying to sell yourself on that.
1: Yeah, that, that is a good point. I just don't think that it's likely that they do cut Ertz mainly just because the year he came off of even right. if he is, yep. even if he, yeah, his contract is going to be bloated down towards the end. But I mean, they like running two tight end sets anyway. I just don't think Godert's ceiling is there yet.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I I take the Eron side at this point, but I can sort of see myself or see somebody trying to talk themselves into it. I'm surprised he's winning though. All right, so we might have touched on this a little bit already, but if there's somebody we haven't covered, uh, you know, who was your biggest hit and who are your biggest miss from the rookie class?
1: Yeah, I would say hit Josh Allen mainly just because the Superflex League he's yep. wor- he's worth about the 103 104 right now, and you're drafting him at the 201 202. And my biggest miss—it hurts me badly to say—I don't have Saquon Barkley anywhere. I didn't have the one one in any league last well, year. You aren't getting with. It. But yeah, e- even if I did have the one one, I told everybody like, I, I don't. I was saying like, how can you not trade this one one pick when you're gonna get a first round startup pick in return? Like, when you can get a Mike Evans, I was saying I would take him over Barkley all day. And looks like I'm clearly wrong there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think that was crazy at the time. I know there was so much hype. Like, You're never probably going to get that price for the 101 again. So I was on that boat, too. I didn't have it anywhere. But if I did, I would have definitely been fielding offers for it and trying to get a treasure trove.
1: Yeah, I would have shipped that off so fast.
0: For me, I think my biggest hit was Nick Chubb. Uh, I was all over him. I thought his prospect profile at Georgia was excellent. and. A lot of people were just kind of gushing over Saquon Barkley's combine because he absolutely tore it up. But Nick Chubb was basically step for step in every drill. He's a freakish athlete, and he was walking into a team with Carlos Hyde, who's a pretty one-dimensional player, and was probably there one year max. So even if Chubb didn't hit the first season, you know, I thought he was going to be a big name the second season. So I was over him, and that's obviously panned out because Hyde left mid-season. And you know, we've already seen Chubb, that he's a stud. Biggest miss, we already talked about him, Rashad Penny. Uh, I don't want to say anything more about that one.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you killed it on the hit, and also I had Penny in a lot of places. Right? Uh, yeah, don't remind what, me. I only had um, Chubb in one place. I dropped him in about the fifth round of a startup draft, and then I flipped him at the end of the off. I flipped him at the end of the season thinking – his value is going to go down a little bit from where it is now. and Basically, I got him for um, Carson Wentz and Derrick Henry in a Superflex league. And My intentions were to flip Henry wa- right away, and that didn't work out. But I kind of regret it because I'm sitting here watching Nick Chubb's value just slowly, slowly climb, climb to where he's at the very beginning of the second, very late first right now in startups.
0: Yeah, I bet it'll still continue to rise, too, depending on what happens with a couple other guys this offseason, specifically like Melvin Gordon's contract situation. I could easily see Chubb going over Gordon if he's not already, depending on what set of ranks or ADP you're looking at.
1: Yeah, and also, I mean, he's going really high in redraft as well. I I watch him go in the first round of best ball leagues.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. I I think that's a little much, but at the same time, he's displayed that he – He's got the talent, and, you know, we'll see if the offense takes another step forward. So it could pay off. I think it's yeah. a little risky, though. <laughs> so all the stuff we talked about here, um, what's your approach going into 2019 with all the lessons you've learned? Uh, you know, whether it's first round, what are you trying to focus on in the first round? What kind of positions are you looking at later on? What kind of player types are you looking for? Anything you got, anything you want to talk about here?
1: Um, A couple things. One, I'm not going to touch a tight end early at all. I'm not going to go after Noah Fant even, unless he's going like mid-second, but I already know he's going to be going late first. I'm not going to go near that. And secondly, I'm going to go after the guy that everyone hates, that everyone likes giving shit towards. So those will be the big two.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely staying off tight end early too. I think other than the class that we saw two years ago, we've seen that it's – Generally not a good idea. So it's definitely not one of those classes again. Um, So I I think I agree with that. I talked about kind of focusing on RBs early. Uh, The other thing I'm going to be looking at is from what I've seen so far, this class has a lot of guys that either, you know, went to smaller schools or just didn't necessarily get the recognition that some of the bigger school guys got, but were super productive, especially at the running back position, Uh, you know, used heavily, used in the passing game. And so there are going to be a lot of things I think that I like about later round running backs this draft. And I'm going to be interested to see how some of these guys test and where they're projected to go in the NFL draft and ultimately where they end up going. I think this could be a good year for late running backs that turn into guys that could potentially be three down backs in the NFL, depending on where they land.
1: Yeah, I can see that. I think Lindsay taught us that lesson.
0: Yep. All right. So unless you got anything else about rookies here, I want to talk about startups cuz right after the Super Bowl this time frame is kind of prime time for a lot of leagues to say you know it's the offseason I want to start up the dynasty league and get it done before the NFL draft before rookie draft so they can do two separate drafts. So if you're going into a startup this year I know you don't necessarily go in saying I'm going to do X in the first round but if you go through several startups and you take Either a running back or a receiver in the first round, which one do you generally feel better about? Which position are you trying to target if the value's there?
1: So, I mean, I'm kind of coming around to this because in the past I've always been about the wide receiver. I go wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, and just completely put the running backs on the back burner. But I think you have to start changing your mind now. And if you have a top two pick, you have to think about Barkley or Gurley. You can't really get around it. But if I'm not if I don't have one of those top two picks, I'm not going to be taking a CMC. I'm not going to be taking a Kamara. I'm not going to be taking a Zeke. I'm going to be going wide receiver. I'm going to be taking OBJ at the 107.
0: Interesting. I'm totally the other way. Uh, I I was the same way for, for the last few years here. I've been prioritizing wide receiver and figuring, you know, let me load up on these guys. They'll have longer shelf lives. And then I can just cycle through running backs But now I'm definitely coming around to, even in Dynasty, even in Dynasty startups, it's so valuable to have these guys that you know are going to get a ton of touches, the the workhorse running Mm -hmm. backs. So Mm -hmm. I am bumping up guys like Zeke, guys like Kamara, guys like Christian McCaffrey, even at this point guys like Nick Chubb, but uh, Melvin Gordon is another one. that I'm bumping those guys up in the first round over some of the other wide receivers that are going in the same range. So if I have a later first-round pick, you know, I'm – I'm looking at Zeke, Melvin Gordon over Odell Beckham, over Hopkins potentially. So you want the touches, and I think you can make up more value at receiver even in Dynasty startups. So I'm going running back as well if I can.
1: Well, see, I'm thinking, like, have you been looking at recent Dynasty startups? Because when I'm looking at them, I'm seeing the CMCs, the Kamaras, the Zekes all going top five. I'm seeing five running backs go off at the very beginning. So if I'm sitting with the 104 and I can move back to the 109 and pick up a possibly switch a second a second round rookie pick for a first and get an OBJ, I'm gonna go that route every time just because I, I'm a wide receiver guy. I like it's probably hurting me, but I like going those wide receivers because even if the, their ceilings are lower, they're they're not gonna win you a league on their own like a CMC will. Right, But their value I. Their value still increases. I mean, doesn't increase, but it stays where it's at longer, in my opinion. From when, I, from what I see, year to year.
0: Yeah, Odell Beckham's value has been so sticky.
1: Yeah, I mean, like it, the he's been moved to the he's been he was the first round pick after th- 2014, and he hasn't been down since, and he won't be for the next three years.
0: Yep. Yeah, I think it comes down to your philosophy a little bit. And so I'm I'm definitely in the mindset now, and I didn't used to look at it this way, but now I'm in the mindset of win year one and then worry about it later. So I'm trying to get the workhorse, even if it means foregoing one of those wide receivers like Odell or Hopkins. But if you're building a team that you want, maybe not necessarily to be the top team in year one, but build a strong foundation to compete two, three, four, those years i think wide receiver is probably the better move so i think it may be just a slight difference in philosophy
1: yeah i think both of them work very well i've seen both of them work for people perfectly i mean my, my favorite thing to do and also my favorite thing to do is to draft a bunch of wide receivers and then start off the year as a middle of the road team and then once you get into week four week five you look at those teams at the bottom of the standings that realize hey i gotta switch gears i gotta go into Rebuild, and then you trade them rookie picks for their running backs, and then you have, in my view, a complete team. I like it. Also, a big piece of whether you're going to take a wide receiver or running back in the first round is starting requirements. If I'm only having to start one running back, sure, that's when I'm going towards the wide receiver. But if I have to start two running backs in like a start 10 league, yeah, that that incentivizes you to go running back there a lot more than – other leagues
0: yeah very true starting requirements are going to be a big piece of that as well uh all right um are you generally focused on youth or vets if you have the option or are you just kind of indifferent and you want to take the value
1: if i have the option i'm going youth every single time not necessarily because the points value may not be there but there's a couple there's a couple factors that go into this one when you're taking the youth option that value is more sticky, and that value has a easier route to go higher than if you're going to take the vet because if you take the vet and he produces very well, his values aren't going to go up much from where you drafted him at right yeah, and sec i mean, and I think my third point is that just taking the youth gives you more flexibility because. Every team will trade for a young asset. When you take that old asset, you're, you limit your trade partners in a league by half.
0: Yeah, those are good points. I I used to be so much more strongly on the youth side than I am now. Now I'm kind of indifferent to the age. You know, I wanna have a nice mix, but my number one priority is just getting that near-term production, uh, yep. trying to win year one, year two. So if it means taking a guy like Larry Fitz, let's say I was doing a startup draft a year or two ago, I'll take Larry Fitz and I'll you know, I'll try to ride him in my wide receiver three slot for the year because he's going late based on his age. So for me, the number one priority is that near term production, try to win early. And if that means taking an old team, you know, then you win a couple of championships. The the money you receive from that affords you a couple of years of buy-ins to try to turn the ship around. And I think you can always try to get an edge with with trading as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it really goes down to if you're playing it safe or playing risky. I see acquiring old old vets as a risky move because you're putting all your money in on that production. And if that production isn't there, you're not going to have anything to show for it. As with the rookies, I mean, if you're drafting a rookie or you're drafting a second-year player, even if they don't produce, you're still going to have value on your roster.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I, I'm willing to bottom out
1: <laughs> to, yeah.
0: to try to make that run. So maybe just a high risk approach.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, perfect position to talk about this quarterback. Are you, you know, do you go in focused on a specific mold of quarterback, specific player, even, you know, what are you trying to do in a startup draft? Are you going early and trying to get one of these guys that, you know, like an Aaron Rodgers that might have a few years left of high-end production, or are you waiting on a quarterback and trying to go, you know, somebody younger or a guy like Matt Ryan that's maybe not that exciting but will get you solid production for a few years?
1: It completely depends on format. Uh, do you want to talk mainly start one, super flex, or both?
0: Uh, go ahead and give me super flex, and then I'll say what I do for one
1: since I like okay. Rangers. Superflex, I my when I first started playing Superflex a couple of years ago, I would go QB early and often. I would take a QB in the first, maybe a QB in the second, maybe like I I would probably leave with two QBs out of the, my first three picks. But since then I've grown a lot I've realized that that is a bad approach like with Superflex leagues, even though the QB value is a, a lot higher. I think you have to wait until you get into that low low end qb1 range high qb2 range and then you try to get about three guys from from the qb12 to the qb20 range that's a, my favorite guys like who i want is my qb1 right now is like someone like cam newton or russell wilson who are going around the qb10 and dynasty startups right now
0: yeah i like that approach um uh, for superflex i generally try to get one guy like a young guy that i know i'm gonna have for a while So I'm thinking, like, Carson Wentz or Jared Goff or a guy that I think I'm going to be able to have for, like, six, seven years. And then I'll go late quarterback from there. But I do want to have that one anchor where I know, you know, I'm going to be able to ride this guy for a while. One quarterback leagues totally the opposite. I punt quarterback for as long as I possibly can. And, you know, so for this year, if I was doing a draft, I'd be trying to get guys like Dak Prescott, Jameis Winston – even Marcus Mariota, who's definitely fallen off the wagon. Uh, but I'm waiting on quarterback. I'm trying to get guys that are young that can bounce back. And hopefully, at least one of them will turn into a guy that I can ride for several years. But that's generally my approach. And then if I have to balance it out, you know, I'm looking to go maybe Jameis Winston and then like a Matt Ryan or somebody if I can get him later on, or Jameis Winston and even, you know, Andy Dalton. Who knows how long he'll be around. But you know, a guy that has some security that I think I can get decent production out of in case the younger guy doesn't work out right away.
1: Yeah, that's what my my favorite one QB guys to go after are guys in that like big band Philip Rivers range that I'm gonna pick unbelievably late and I'll just roster two of those guys.
0: Yeah, Rivers is a perfect example. So I, I would love to pair, you know, like Philip Rivers and Lamar Jackson. I can't get Jackson that late. So it's Philip yeah. Rivers and Sam Darnold, let's say. You know, one oh, yeah, those like guys.
1: Uh, yeah, I know we talked about Jackson earlier, and um, I completely agree that in start one QB leagues, he is a guy that's great to target just because that ceiling is so high and you don't really – if his value completely bottoms out and he has nothing, that's not going to cripple your roster like it would in the Superflex League.
0: That's a really good point that I don't think a lot of people think about is that job security is more valuable in Superflex than it is in one quarterback – and so a guy like Lamar Jackson is more valuable than one quarterback because if he loses his job, you know, you'll have somebody else that you can plug in and you might even be able to get a quarterback off the waiver wire that you can throw in like a Nick Foles or somebody. Uh, but in super flex, that hurts a whole lot more. So that's a really good point. And I don't think a lot of people think about that.
1: Yeah, I think the format makes it a big deal.
0: Awesome. So let's hit on tight end real quick for startups, and then we can move on to trade targets. So going into a startup draft, what's your approach on tight end? Are you trying to get one of these high-end guys early on? Um, And I know for Superflex, if you're going QB, are you also looking at tight end, or are you trying to do one or the other?
1: Okay, it it really depends on, yeah, league here. Like If I'm playing in a start 11 or start 12 league where I'm only going to have to start one tight end, that comp- that's completely different to me if I'm playing in a start eight league, which I don't think anybody thinks about at all. But just because the points that the tight ends contributing to your starting lineup every week in those massive start eleven leagues where you're starting seven wide receivers, you, you could go without starting a tight end and it wouldn't really affect your team that much. Like but verse if you're playing in a start eight league where yeah. you have to like a the tight ends points contribute to your starting lineup a lot more than it would otherwise. So if I'm playing in like a league that start seven, start eight with, and it's a one QB league, I'm going to go after the Travis Kelsey. But at the same time, if I'm playing in a start 11, start 12 super flex league where the points that the tight ends score me make up right. such a small percentage of my starting lineup, I'm going to be rostering Austin Hooper as my first, as my starting tight end.
0: Yeah, I like that. I like that approach. My my thought is generally I try to get a younger guy that's already been productive. So last year before the injury it was Hunter Henry. The year before that it was Hunter Henry. This year it's probably George Kittle. Like I'd be willing to pay that price. Or I'd be looking at a guy like OJ Howard or David Njoku. Even Dallas Goddard, I mean you can't get him in right away, but I think you could start any of those other guys right away, and then I'm just trying to ride them for a long time so I don't have to worry about tight end. And yeah. if I have a guy that I'm not thinking is going to produce right away, you know, I might want to try to pair, like, Jared Cook and Dallas Goddard. So you get an old guy, kind of like the quarterback approach, where you can ride the veteran for a year or two, and, or Jimmy Graham Dallas Goddard, something like that, where you get, throw a guy in for a year and then hope the, the younger guy pans out.
1: Yeah, so my favorite thing to do is target those um, round one, round two tight ends that are entering year three, like an Adam Shaheen or a Gerald Everett. Like, I've never had them on my dynasty rosters before, but this offseason I'm sending out offers to every single one of my owners because they're forgotten about.
0: Yep, Gerald Everett, I love that one. Johnny Smith is a guy that I'm going to be trying to pick up this offseason. Uh, I love him as well. Yeah. All right, so let's touch on some trade targets here. We have talked a lot about rookies and startups, so if you've already got a league in progress, um, let's talk about some guys that you are trying to sell high on. I know we've touched on a few, so anybody that we haven't covered yet that you're trying to get rid of, if you have them.
1: Okay, you're not going to like these. (laughs) If you're you're the audience listening right now and you you suffer from, I don't know, just getting getting really offended by people you love. I'd tune off right now. Just give it to him straight. All right, in superflex leagues, I'm selling Baker Mayfield, which I know he's everybody's favorite QB. He was—I loved him coming in. I had him everywhere coming in, but he's—he's he's valued so highly right now just because he's such a fun guy and he was so good his rookie year. I mean, you could trade Baker Mayfield for Russell Wilson right now, which like most most people would rather have Mayfield, which I just think is. Crazy to me for like compared to Russell Wilson or Cam Newton.
0: Yeah, I'd rather have Russ.
1: Yeah, I mean, but Baker's going ahead of him in every every startup.
0: Well, shit, I guess you should sell Mayfield then. I never thought I'd say that.
1: Yeah, and then same thing, looking down at the Browns' backfield, I'm selling Nick Chubb. I loved him coming in. I was a big fan of his, but, I mean, if if he's going to be valued at that late first, early second turn, I'm moving off him. I'm gonna to try to send a Chubb and a third for a Juju.
0: Yeah, I think you I think that's a good move. I'm not opposed to trying to sell Chubb, but I will say you gotta get good value for that because I think you're still gonna get solid production if you keep him. So you gotta make sure I think you're getting a safe asset and somebody that'll produce right away.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I, I think he's gonna be great. Yep. I mean but I'm 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 looking at it as I think he should be at the end of the second round and he's just not there. He's a solid Ten pack ten picks higher, and those are ten valuable picks,
0: yeah, I mean I, I might even go higher than that, like I would try to maybe do like Chubb and then a second and see if that'll get you up to like an Odell Beckham because some guys are just going crazy for Nick Chubb right now
1: yeah i I definitely so, think that's possible
0: yeah i I would try to go higher than Juju, but I like the idea
1: see so, you no know, i i would do I would do Chubb plus for Juju. But, yeah, I mean,
0: okay. I'm not opposed to that trade, but yeah. I, I would sh- try to shoot higher. I mean,
1: like yeah. somebody more valuable. Completely understandable. And this next yeah. wide receiver is everybody's favorite. Everybody in the analytics community loves him. Every fan fantasy analyst loves him. He's everybody's favorite sleeper. But I'm selling Chris Godwin. I know Bruce Arians is coming to Tampa Bay. I know a lot of people are thinking Chris Godwin's going to enter that year year three breakout. I just think he's already being valued as if he's broken out when he hasn't. I mean, yep. recently in a auction draft, the auction startup I just had, he went as like the wide receiver 15 ahead of players like AJ green. And it just a Jeez. lot of players I'd rather have ahead of him.
0: That's crazy. I, I think you can make the same argument about Kenny Galladay because we saw him kind of on his own this year. And I'm not sure he's going to be the player that everyone thought he was, but he's being priced around that range as if he's already a stud. So I think you can make a similar argument about Kenny Galladay and those two are lumped together quite a bit.
1: Oh, yes, they are. I do think Galladay's value is higher. And just because he's already produced a significant amount on the field. But Mm -hmm. Galladay isn't one of those other guys who came into the um, NFL really late. And unlike Calvin Ridley, nobody likes to talk about that with Galladay.
0: Yep, Uh, that's a great point. Okay. And Calvin Ridley is one of the guys I'm selling. We already talked about that. But uh, yeah. another one that I had was Philip Lindsay. I think we've touched on him a little bit already. Primarily, my concern is how long you hold up his body size, his age. And the last one I had here was Zach Ertz. We talked a little bit about his contract situation. So okay. I think he's probably got one more year with the Eagles. I don't think they'll opt to re sign him, especially after uh, drafting Dallas Goddard. So I think you got one more year of Zach Ertz, Max.
1: Yeah, I, I, com- I don't I don't necessarily agree with the reason to sell Zach Ertz, but I do agree that he is a sell just coming off this massive year, and I do think that Dallas Goddard, I, th- I think they'll both be there, and I think they'll both eat into each other, and I think that Zach Ertz will come down to earth a little bit and be a mid-tight end one while Goddard is a tight end two.
0: Yeah, I, I'm kind of projecting here, but I don't think they'll re-sign Ertz because they're going to come up to the time when they have to pay Carson Wentz. And I think if they had to pick between the two, they're going to rather pay Wentz than Ertz. Oh, yeah. So I, I just don't know if they're going to be willing to spend that much knowing that the Wentz contract is looming.
1: Yeah, that's what I also love your Lindsay call. Yeah, I think well, I think Lindsay was more of a screaming sell a month ago as he was producing and when people dismissed the draft capital and now that it's the off season, people are coming more towards their senses and see the size and see the draft capital and see the coaching change. But I agree that he has a sell. Yeah, I think you should have already
0: sold it. But still, if he got him, I'm trying to sell even at yeah. this point. That's a good point, though.
1: So who are you selling for QB?
0: Josh Allen. We already talked about him.
1: Oh, Okay, yeah. And uh, can I, do you mind if I get in my tight end sell real quick? Do we have time?
0: Oh, yeah. Sorry if I missed that. Go for it.
1: Okay, yeah. It's another guy. You already mentioned. You mentioned that you're buying him, but I'm doing the exact opposite. He just recently went as the tight end one in my auction startup ahead of Travis Kelsey, and that is George Kittle. I think that George Kittle's a fantastic talent, but I am not paying the price that it takes to acquire him right now, mainly because that San yep. Francisco offense was completely void of talent. And with a new QB coming in, that doesn't have to necessarily look at the tight end, every route running those underneath routes. Um, and with possibly a big name wide receiver coming in, I think that the volume will be down. And I don't know if he's gonna get those not necessarily fluky long TD receptions, but I I don't want to call them fluky, but I don't think that they're gonna to continue to happen so often.
0: Yeah, I like the call, especially if he's going at tight end one. I mean, if you're gonna get that kind of haul for him, I think he should sell as well. I actually I do like his long term outlook, but I think he might be at his peak already because he's being valued so high and the thing with George Kittle is that he made most of his production this year on yak rather than air yards. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think a lot of people have done research on this. And air yards are much stickier year-to-year than yak. So we'll have to see Kittle compensate for if he doesn't produce that much yak next year by getting more air yards. And especially with the AB rumor starting to swirl around San Francisco, I'm not convinced that's going to happen. So I like the call to sell him.
1: Oh yeah, I think all those are great points.
0: Yeah, I like if you're selling him a tight end one, but I still like his long-term outlook. So, you know, if you're getting him later than that, I've, I'm willing to buy as well because you could definitely ride Kittle for eight to 10 years and that has you know, plenty of value as well.
1: Oh, yeah, that's what I think he'll be a low, a t- uh, mid to low tight end one, maybe like around the tight end six or seven. I just don't think that he's going to produce the tight end one numbers.
0: Yep, I like that call. All right, so let's talk about some buy-lows here. Who are
1: you trying to buy this offseason? I'm trying to buy Cam for a lot of reasons. One, people are worried about the shoulder, even though everything went well. People look at Luck, be like, oh, he sat out a year, yada, yada, yada. I'm trying to buy Rojo because the Bruce Arians offense is coming in, and at the same time he was a top 40 pick. And I know what you're going to say. You didn't like him coming in. (laughs) Trust me, neither did I. I had no Rojo in any of my rookie drafts, I traded for him afterwards. But right now, I think you can get him for a late second round rookie pick, and I think his chance of hitting is a lot higher than someone you're going to draft there.
0: Yeah, that's probably not a bad move. If You can get him that cheap. I'd be willing to do it.
1: Yeah, and the uh, third guy I'm looking for is Corey Davis. I like. I, I really like Corey Davis. I recently bought him for like um, Corlin Sutton, along with like someone, something tiny like Tyrell Williams. Of M- <laughs> I do that in a heartbeat. Yeah, so I I think a lot of owners are worried about him, just tired of him, and I think Mariota most likely is bad, but what if he's not? What if it was actually the elbow that caused him to be so inefficient in 2018?
0: Yep, I'm still team Mariota, so I love it.
1: Okay, my last one, you mentioned about buying wide receivers, who, I mean tight ends who produced at an early age, and I am buying Evan Ingram. Uh, This is my first time ever owning him this offseason. I... Hated his price coming off his rookie year, similar to George Kittle, but I think he is currently priced around the tight end six behind David and Joku and behind OJ Howard, and I would love to get him there.
0: That's not a bad move. I, I'd still prefer Howard and Joku over Ingram, but I think that's a much more palatable
1: price. Would you mind? Um, do you mind answering? I have a quick question about Howard. Of course. I, I thought he was a ma- massive buy coming into his year three. And then I got really scared about the Bruce Arians offense tight end numbers. Do you think that holds any value or is it just the tight ends that Aaron's worked with were so bad?
0: I generally ignore like coach X did or did not use position X because uh-huh. a lot of it is based on personnel. And so, you know, people made all these points about Aaron Rodgers never throws to his tight end when they were talking about Jimmy Graham this offseason, like obviously it didn't work out, but Aaron right. Rodgers didn't throw to his tight end because he had shitty tight ends. He never had a player like Jimmy Graham. And, yeah. You know, he, I can't really use that as a counterexample because it didn't work out. But I think the same logic I'm going to use for Arians, like I don't care. I mean, he didn't use his tight ends because they sucked. You know, he's okay. never had a player like OJ Howard. So for me, if people are buying that, I'm using that as an opportunity to get him at a discount.
1: Okay. I, I, I definitely think you can. Um, The one reason, I and I generally agree with that statement, that coach narratives are overblown. The only reason that I bring it up is because the sample size was so large and he worked with a lot of different tight ends that I thought that there's a chance that it could be valid.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely could be. I'm just willing to bet against it.
1: (laughs) Okay, that's fair. I think O.J. Howard's a great talent.
0: Yeah, oh, he's he's one of the best tight ends we've seen come out in a long time, I think. Oh, yeah all right so i got a couple guys we've talked about already uh James winston for a lot of reasons that we've mentioned arians the offense is going to be good a lot of talent around him and he's a gunslinger which we love for fantasy because you get deep touchdowns interceptions are often wiped out by big plays so i don't mind them and Fitzpatrick's a free agent so i think the job looks good for winston long term and he's still really young i mean in the grand scheme of things so willing to buy Winston, especially because he's a lot cheaper now than he's pretty much ever been. Uh, I'm buying Devontae Freeman because his price is depressed based on uh, mostly missing this past season, but also just not being that productive in recent memory. And so he's definitely faded from the year he won a bunch of people fantasy championships. Tevin Coleman's a free agent. Essentially no way they bring him back based on the contract that they signed Freeman to. Uh, so it's pretty much going to be Freeman and Ido Smith next year. So love Freeman in that situation. Uh, buying Devin Funches for reasons we've already talked about. And the last guy I mentioned briefly, Johnnie Smith, um, I think he's just going to have to step into a bigger role. And he was a bit productive in spurts in his rookie year. Uh, didn't do as much last year, but we've seen him at least display the ability and he's gotten on the field early and coming from a very small school. I'm not really worried that he didn't produce that much right away. And just the fact that we've seen him get on the field and do a little bit here and there is promising enough to me that he's essentially free. So, you know, I'm trying to scoop him up as a back of the roster kind of guy that, you know, depending on taxi squad rules, maybe you can even get him on there. And I'm hoping for this year or next year that he'll be able to, to get on the field more and break out.
1: Yeah, I honestly completely agree with 100% of those calls. Those were all guys I was considering. Maybe not necessarily Johnny Smith. I was a big fan of his coming in, but then the low draft capital along with him, he he was very inefficient this season. But all all of them I generally agree with, especially the Devontae Freeman call. I think everybody's looking towards um, Tevin Coleman leaving as a free agent and factoring in, oh, where's Tevin Tevin Coleman going to go? Let's Let's value him highly, and then completely forget about how it's going to affect Devonta Freeman. How he and Edo Smith are each going to get bigger workloads.
0: Yeah, that's I think generally underrated is when a free agent leaves the impact of the team that they're leaving. I think is under underrated in a lot of cases. And A lot of people are focused on you know where's player X going to go, but not ooh player Y that stayed on the team. You know how does that impact their role? So that a lot of times creates buying opportunities. If you just go down the list, look at the pending free agents and look at the teams that are leaving that can probably identify quite a few buying opportunities.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point.
0: All right, so this is kind of a contrarian way to do things, but are there any players that you're buying high? Players that are on the rise and you still think they're worth buying long-term or their value could continue to increase?
1: Yes, okay, one, I was really buying him. I was buying him low at the end of the season. I think his value has gone up a little bit since then, is Sonny Michel, mainly just because he's been so productive, and he was a first-round NFL running back selected by Bill Belichick. And he's been productive without catching the football. So we're seeing his floor. In my opinion, we're seeing his floor right now. And if he can improve anything, out of catching the ball out of the backfield whatsoever, I think his ceiling is a lot higher depending on – the situation obviously and i think a lot of people are scared of that new new england backfield and i would be willing to pay the 2019 101 for sonny michelle
0: hey that's a good take i'm not sure i'd be quite willing to go that high but again i haven't done all my evaluations yet so we'll see maybe i'll get there but a lot of good points he was productive and he's in a good situation there so i'd like to call
1: Okay, and this second one, I'm buying wide receiver high. My my love for this wide receiver is a little crazy. It may be irrational, but I'm buying Amari Cooper as a top five dynasty wide receiver.
0: Woo, sizzling. I like it. I I love Amari Cooper, so I'm on board.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, he's been so productive since he's been to Dallas, and he's still so young and they had no time to incorporate him into the offense. He had a bye week to get situated. And he's not a running back who they – I mean, how much do you have to learn as a running back? He's a wide receiver. It's a completely different offense than what he was running in. They were both pretty shitty offenses. But other than that, I mean, I think it's a big deal for – he wasn't majorly successful, but he was still a wide receiver, one, going into that Dallas offense right away.
0: Yep. Yeah, I love the call.
1: Yeah, so I, I think he I'll has be- – I think he has a very Uh, high ceiling.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I only have one guy written down, and it's probably not a guy that people have forgotten about, but I'm buying Darius Keis. And that's really just if the price is at where it was last year, just because it's not as strong of a class from from what I've seen so far, that if you can get Darius Keis at the cost that you paid last year, so that's basically the 102 in every league, I'm paying that. I'm probably willing to pay the 101, uh, so I'm buying Darius Geis if anybody's willing to part with him.
1: Okay, yeah, I think you'd have to pay the 101, and I'm I i would not yeah, be yeah Yeah, I wouldn't be willing to do that. I think Geis is a great talent, but it's just I expect that Washington offense to be so bad.
0: Yep, I I do too, but I think I'm projecting that he's going to be better at catching the ball than what we gave him credit for in college. And so we've seen running backs and, you know, Saquon Barkley's maybe not the best example just because he's so freaking good, but Darius Geis is also really good. And so I think if anyone can overcome besides Barkley on a bad offense, it's probably Geis. So I'm willing to take that chance because I just don't think you're going to get anyone with as much upside. Um, And assuming they figure out their quarterback situation, I think the ceiling is really high for Geis.
1: Yeah, with your running back strategy, I think that's a, I think it's a good take, and I think I would pay the one-on-one for our guys as well, depending on team structure, of course.
0: Yep. All right, so the flip side of the spectrum, is there anybody that you're selling low on, players that fell out of grace this year and you just decided that's enough, there, there's no coming back, time to cut paint and get anything I can?
1: I'm selling Anthony Miller. Mainly just because I was so off him coming into his rookie year, a lot of he was he was a lot of people's favorite sleeper. I just he he was older than Calvin Ridley coming into his rookie year, and yeah. nobody talked about it. everybody, everybody loves talking about with Calvin Ridley, so that's why I think Calvin Ridley's priced appropriately. But he's one of the guys that nobody nobody liked talking about. It. He came from a JUCO, started a JUCO school. I tend to like guys who are coming in to the uh, coming into college and go to big schools because they had. Um, They were a high recruit coming out of high school. So, I mean, he's just someone I go completely against. I know his values dipped a lot, and you can probably get him for a late second. But I would honestly probably take the late second just because he was such an old recruit. Him coming in and doing nothing just – like it confirms what I already thought.
0: I had a league where I was picking between Anthony Miller and James Washington and it was like mid second or something like that.
1: Yeah.
0: And I picked Washington. And about the first, I don't know, two months after that, I regretted it because everybody was starting to hype up Anthony Miller. And I was like, at this point, I could have traded Miller for Washington plus something. But I took Washington. And at this point, I'm loving it. So I oh, like yeah. that call. It's yeah, actually it's- funny, though, because my guy's Alan Robinson. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have him – you know, I love Allen Robinson as a player, but he just did not fit into the role that I thought he would in Chicago. I thought he would get, you know, maybe 150 targets that might be aggressive, but I thought he was going to get a ton. I thought he was going to be a clear wide receiver one on the team, and I thought they were just going to, you know, make him one of the focal points of the offense. It didn't happen that way. They spread the ball around more than I would have liked, and he just didn't really do anywhere near as much as I thought he would. And based on that, you know, I'm not really anticipating they decide after this year, well, that wasn't working. We need to get Robinson more involved. So I don't really see a significant change in terms of offensive philosophy. So if I can get any, any decent value for Robinson, I'd probably be willing to sell.
1: What would you sell for, like rookie pick-wise?
0: Um, because of the talent, I definitely want at least a first. I don't know if I'm getting that. So Oh, I we'll think see. You-
1: I think you would yeah. easily get a first round pick. I would pay you, I would pay you the 108 for him.
0: I'd probably want like mid first. Yeah. So yeah, I I'd probably consider it for about that.
1: Yeah, that, that that's a good take. I like it. And another thing about Anthony, I just want to bring up Anthony Miller real quick. Do you remember in the um preseason, like I mean training camp time when how much hype he was getting? Yeah, it was, it was insane.
0: insane. Yeah, I mean, especially, you know, some of the guys that out there that are Bears fans that were watching him at training camp and that kind of stuff, they were saying he was shredding experienced NFL defensive backs, and, you know, he's going to be the next big thing. I wasn't really buying it that much. I mean, he was a strong player, and I definitely liked what I saw out of him, but, you know, his age was an under-discussed aspect of his profile, so I was kind of off him a little more than most, and that's probably why... I took Washington where most people would have taken Miller at the time. Uh, so I'm with you on Miller, though.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great pick.
0: Yeah, I just – I don't know what to do with the Bears wide receivers here because I don't really like Miller. I'm souring on Allen Robinson, and I've never been a Taylor, Taylor Gabriel fan because, you know, he's a one-trick pony. Yeah. So I don't know what to do.
1: I, I think the Chicago could address the position in um, the offseason, honestly. Yeah. <sighs>
0: I don't know why they would though. I mean, they've got Robinson on a big contract. They just drafted Miller, and I actually don't know what the deal is with Gabriel. I assume it's coming.
1: You know, Gabriel got a big contract, but I don't know right. if he, I don't know if they can get out of it.
0: Yeah, but the, that's what I mean.
1: I mean, actually, no. I guess they just paid Khalil Mack. I was thinking that they had Trubisky on a rookie contract, so they had the money to go out there and sign someone. But right, that's not. Never mind. I'm wrong there. That's not the case. <laughs>
0: Okay. Yeah, so that that's a confusing wide receiver group for me to work out. But anyway. Uh, last question here. If you got a start up this season, it sounds like you're between Gurley and Barkley, as I'm sure most people are, including myself. Who are you taking? Who's your one oh one if you got the first pick in a start
1: One oh one I'm taking Barkley. Like yeah. I, I I was against him going into twenty eighteen. I thought he was a I thought he was too hyped considering he was a rookie. But I was just wrong, and I'm willing to, I'm willing to say it and go against myself.
0: Yeah, I'll take a Barkley too. And, you know, I, I was also one of the guys banging the drum for, you know, he's overhyped. Uh, he hasn't even played a game yet. You can't be valuing him this high. Obviously, that all panned out the way that people were thinking it would. So, yeah, um, you know, I'm willing to take the loss on that because I think it was riskier than people were willing to admit, but. It obviously panned out, so I, I think it's hard to make a case against him as the one oh one because he does basically everything Gurley does and he's got extra years left.
1: He literally looks like he created human in a lap. Like there's Exactly. If you did, he would be Saquon Barkley. There's no no way to say it. No other way to say it.
0: Yeah, I mean, and we've seen him probably at about his worst because the offense is bad and Gurley's in a very good offense, so his you know his low end is not that far off of Gurley's high end. So I think it's an easy choice. Oh, yeah. All right, man. Anything else you want to get out there before we wrap? This was a good show.
1: Yeah, I think we're all good. I mean, if you like hearing me talk about Dynasty or fantasy football in general, I'd love for you to go check out our Twitch, go check out our YouTube. You'll see a lot of content there. And if nothing's posted by the time you hear this and go to look, you can always find me at, on Twitter at Build The Dynasty, and I'll definitely be tw- tweeting out every link to everything I ever post.
0: Awesome! Yep, thank you guys for listening. Go go check out Mason over at Build The Dynasty on Twitter. Check out the Fantasy Flock Network. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Leopold NFL. Uh, our main page is at FFD260. The website wwwffdynasty 260com uh, We got all our content up there. Uh, if you're not subscribed yet, check out this podcast, iTunes, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, and we'll be back probably on a more regular basis this off season. So uh, keep looking forward to that. And thanks again for listening. Mason, we'd love to have you back on sometime. It was great to have you. appreciate you coming oh, yeah.
1: on. Tonight. I had a lot of fun. I would love to come back on.
0: All right. Good deal.